Welcome to the weekly podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne. Thank you for being with us. This podcast is an opportunity for us to wrestle with life's tough questions, to wonder together about this world we inhabit, and to find ways to cultivate hope, compassionate service, and action in our lives and our communities and our world. To learn more, you can visit our website at uucheyenne.org. This week at the Unitarian Universalist Church of Cheyenne, we are diving into and exploring the question, how can our shared past be a source of renewal without defining us? It's a question about how we relate to our ancestors as a congregation and as a community of faith. And this question comes up for me at this time of year uh, because the Sunday after Labor Day is traditionally our water communion and in-gathering service at UUCC, where we um, pour waters together to symbolize our coming back together as a congregation Um, And with those um, sort of commingled waters of us coming back together are also um, waters from our ancestors as a congregation. And as I think about those waters, that confluence, that coming together, I think about what it means to carry our past as a community with us into the future And what it means for that past to renew us, to bring us hope, to call us forward without defining us, without uh, feeling like we can only do things the way they were done in the past. So I invite you to dive in with me to consider How can we relate to our shared past and how can we find renewal in it without it becoming prescriptive? Let's get started. To begin our dive into this question of how our shared past can be a source of renewal without defining us, I want to start by talking about how this question is showing up in current events in the news on our radio, on our TV, in our newspaper. And the there are lots of ways that it's showing up. But the one that I keep coming back to and that keeps coming back to me is the public dialogue and debate and engagement that we're having about statues and monuments. And a lot of the conversation is being driven by the debates around Confederate statues and monuments, but the the scope of it extends beyond that and it extends to lots of historical figures whose legacies white Americans are just starting to wrestle with on a large scale. This summer, I was visiting family in Wisconsin and we went down to Chicago to see some friends and I was driving and we came upon a street sign and the name of the street had been blocked out with black spray paint. And it took me a second, and then I realized, oh, this is Columbus Drive. And so we turned onto Columbus Drive, 
And uh, in a spot that used to hold a statue of Christopher Columbus was an empty pedestal. And there have been these photos of empty pedestals or of statues that have been pulled down by protesters or whisked away in the night by city governments who want to avoid the optics of protesters tearing them down. There are all of these empty pedestals, these blocked out street names. And as I consider what it means to have our shared past be a source of renewal, and specifically renewal, and not shame and not consternation, I think about what that absence can teach me, what that absence can teach us. Because that absence, for me, is a reminder, is a physical manifestation of all of the stories, all of the voices, all of the narratives, all of the figures who have been absent from the way that I have learned and been taught history. That the the absence of a statue will not, as you know, I think some would decry, lead us to forget our history, but that that absence will itself be a history lesson, a reminder to seek out those stories, those narratives, those people who have not been included in the dominant culture's conversation about history and the past and the story. So to ground us in our own Unitarian and Universalist histories before we dive in further, I want to point our attention to a minister named Theodore Parker. And Theodore Parker served in the Boston, Massachusetts area in the mid-1800s. And his ministry was a number of things. But one of the important things, I think, to lift up in this moment about his ministry is that Theodore Parker's ministry challenged our traditional sense of what it meant to do religion and of what it meant to do religion in a congregation. And he was constantly pushing boundaries, both theologically and practically, and he was an ardent abolitionist, and he was a transcendentalist, or at least he dabbled in transcendentalist circles, is maybe the more appropriate term. Um, But in May of 1841, he preached at the ordination of the Reverend Charles C. Shackford in Boston, and he preached a sermon called The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity. And in this sermon, Parker really lays out a sense of what it is that we are claiming, laying claim to as Unitarian Christians. And back in this time, uh, Unitarians were a Christian denomination. And so it, for Parker, he is working to lay claim to Christianity in a way that feels authentic and makes sense to him. And so this is an excerpt from uh, The Transient and the Permanent in Christianity by Theodore Parker. It must be confessed 
though with sorrow, that transient things form a great part of what is commonly taught as religion. An undue place has often been assigned to forms and doctrines, while too little stress has been laid on the divine life of the soul, love to God and love to man. Religious forms may be useful and beautiful. They are so whenever they speak to the soul and answer a want thereof. In our present state, some forms are perhaps necessary. But they are only the accident of Christianity, not its substance. They are the robe, not the angel, who may take another robe quite as becoming and useful. Hmm. I love that image that the the present forms that we use to do religion are the accident and not the substance. They are the robe and not the angel itself. And so I hear in this excerpt from Theodore Parker's sermon, I hear a call to notice the difference between the angel and the robe in our religious community, because this is the work that our spiritual ancestors did trying to figure out what is the core of who we are and what we're doing, and what is just the accident? What is just the robe, just the dressing, just the container, and not the thing itself? And I think more than ever, I think about the things that in a crisis we felt were permanent and get revealed to us as transient. I think about how we've been meeting on Zoom on Sunday mornings, and the new ways that we are doing our Unitarian Universalist faith together and how there is always more to learn about what is truly permanent about who we are as a people of faith. This past summer, in lieu of uh, some typical summer activities like traveling and barbecues with friends and all those sorts of things, I started a brief but new hobby for me, which was looking into my ancestry. I have never been one to build out family trees too far or, or do too much research, but I spent a month or so getting really into Ancestry.com and learning about my family, learning about my ancestors, learning about the people who came before me in both my mom's family and my dad's family and seeing the patterns and seeing the ways that um, right, like a profession will keep showing up again and again. Uh, or the way that there are these little artifacts from uh, throughout the past. But what was most interesting was then taking those little facts and artifacts and the things that I thought I was learning uh, on Ancestry.com and taking them and actually talking to my parents about, you know, how does this line up with your sense of who your family was or your sense of the family history or the family story? And there was a lot of overlap, but there were also moments where there was a correction or a hmm, or a, I'm not really sure that that's who that was, or wow, that's not who I learned was that person. Uh, 
And it was a reminder that when we talk about our shared past, whether it's our shared past as a family or our shared past as a religious community, we need to ask ourselves, is it really shared? Do we all have the same experiences of these events in the past? And do we have the same knowledge about the origins of things? Do we have the same knowledge about why we do the things we do? And for me, as a minister, the piece I've been wrestling with is, does that matter? Does it matter how clear of a shared past we have together? As I think about the question of our different levels of knowledge about the reasons that we do things in churches, I have been thinking about the Zen story of the ritual cat. And maybe some of you are familiar. But the story of the ritual cat is that there was a monastery. And as they were sitting down to meditate one day, the cat in the monastery was making the most awful racket. And so the head monk took the cat and tied the cat up in a room far away from the meditation room. Well, the next day, they uh, did the same thing, and they did the same thing the next day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And eventually, that monk who had first tied up the cat died, but they kept tying up the cat every time there was meditation. And then one day, that cat, the noisy cat, died, But no one who was there practicing in the monastery had ever meditated without first tying up a cat. And so they got a new cat so that they could tie the cat up in the room far away from the meditation room. Churches are curious places. We come in, whether we are ministers or staff or congregants or just passersby, we come in and we participate in a story that predates us and will continue after us. We are inheritors of the story of this place and of these people. We come in to the building, to the community, to the Zoom, whatever it is, and we see people doing of all sorts of things, including sometimes tying up ritual cats. And it's not until we dig a little deeper that we start to see the power of these stories that we tell ourselves and each other about our community. And, you know, we inherit all kinds of stories. I think about uh, a story that I've inherited from multiple people multiple times since arriving at UUCC, which is about when the congregation was preparing to move from its previous building, which if You hang around for a while. If you're new, you'll hear called the Little Yellow Church. And so they were looking at purchasing uh, the new building, which is the one we currently occupy. And this was about 20 years ago or so. And apparently at the Little Yellow Church, there was uh, what sounds like an extremely inadequate number of outlets. And so uh, things were kind of all plugged in and extension corded around in a way that Uh, does not sound the most ideal or the safest, perhaps. And so one of the church's founding mothers came in to the new building, and her primary metric for whether or not we should move into this new building, or at least the thing that she expressed out loud, 
was that it had plenty of outlets. And so it would do. And so we inherit those stories, those small, beautiful moments that tell us about the character and the nature of the people who came before us in a congregation, even if we've never met them. But we also inherit more difficult stories. We inherit stories about times that the congregation has failed or struggled or been uncertain. We inherit stories about the ways that we've harmed each other because we are human. We inherit all of these stories. And like the ritual cat at the monastery, we don't always know how or why we got to the place that we are. And so we do the work of looking into our shared past. We do the work of looking into our spiritual and religious ancestors. And there is no Ancestry.com where we can just type in some search terms or a date of birth or death and hope that we'll find out exactly what happened in our congregation's past. We do the work of learning our shared past in relationship with each other by listening and receiving stories, by telling them in return. And so as we consider this kind of work, this kind of shared history work, this kind of shared ancestry work, I want to invite us into three practices to help us better understand, to help us better navigate those choppy waters of the story, the story of this community before we arrived, and the story of this community now. And so the first thing that I want to invite us into, the first practice of learning and diving into our shared past, is that there should not be any heroes and there should not be any villains in this story of our past together. Right? So no heroes, no villains. And for me, that means that we cannot cast anybody as above reproach or without redemption. That in, in the stories we watch in movie theaters and in, that we read about in books and that we see in plays, we love for there to be heroes and villains in those stories. It helps us make sense of the world around us. And yet, when we're talking about real life, when we're talking about these actual beautiful, marvelous, difficult things called human beings that we interact with, there are no heroes and there are no villains. Because I think the reality is that if we go looking for heroes or we go looking for villains, we'll find them at first. But we will just absolutely be setting ourselves up for disappointment. Because whoever you have cast as the hero in the story of our congregation, they will surely disappoint you at some point. Because... We're human beings doing a human endeavor. And I will also say that if you are looking to cast a villain, that villain will disappoint you too. 
because that person will show up in the most unexpected place in the most unexpected way, and they will prove it to be compassionate or caring or resilient in a way that you could not have imagined. So no heroes, no villains. The second practice I want to invite us into as we consider our shared past is no stone tablets. No stone tablets. And what I mean by that is that it can be tempting to want to etch things in stone. It can be tempting to want to take a practice that feels very familiar to us or a piece of our shared past that feels really familiar or really present or really um, important and want to etch it into a stone tablet and treat it as if it has come down from Mount Sinai. But the reality is that many things that feel like that sometimes or that we treat like that sometimes are actually recent human creations. The one I often talk about as an example in this way um, is not just a piece of our shared past as the UU Church of Cheyenne, but as Unitarian Universalism more broadly. Our current Unitarian Universalist principles, the seven principles, are sometimes treated as if they are um, stone tablets handed down on Mount Sinai. But the reality is that they are human-created language that was ratified as part of a bylaw change for the Unitarian Universalist Association in the 80s. And the, the theological sentiments that make up our seven principles, those far predate the 1980s. But the actual words and the fact that there are seven of them, that is pretty new. So no stone tablets. The final practice I want to invite us into as we consider our shared past is to think of ourselves not only as inheritors of a shared past, but also as ancestors. To think of ourselves not only as people who are going to inherit a story, but people who will someday be the ancestors. Someday, someone will be considering the shared past of their religious community, and they will be thinking about this time. They will wonder how their spiritual ancestors weathered this pandemic. They will wonder what Zoom church was like. And for me, when I think of myself not only as an inheritor of a story, of a tradition, of a community, of a past, but also as an ancestor in that same story, I feel a call to really consider how I will be remembered to consider what people will see in in this chapter of the story. And not to say that 
right? Because remember rule number one, no heroes, no villains. Not to say that as we think about ourselves as ancestors that we need to cast ourselves as heroes, but that when we think of ourselves as ancestors, we have a responsibility to move the story towards a place of greater love and greater justice and greater compassion and greater health. To go back to the Zen story of the ritual cat, when I think about myself as an ancestor, I think about my responsibility to disrupt our ritual cats, to invite us to see the ways that we are carrying on behavior or patterns that no longer serve us that were formed out of a very real need at a point in time, but that are no longer part of who we need to be. Because I do not just inherit a story. We don't just inherit a story of what it means to be Unitarian Universalists. We are creating that story right now. We are carrying it forward. Our shared past is there to teach us, to show us what is possible, to show us what has been possible, and to show us how we got to the place we are today. But the past is not the future. The way things have been is not the way they will be forever. And so as we move forward in these stranger times than ever, may we find in our past a source of renewal, a source of learning, a source of teaching us what is possible so that we might imagine a new way forward, so that we might become clear about what is truly permanent about who we are and fight for that truth. Thank you for joining us. If you want to keep reflecting, keep wrestling, keep engaging with this question, you can find out more on our website at uucheyenne.org. And if you scroll down and click on the little heart that says Soul Matters at the bottom of our homepage, you'll get access to our packet with information about this month and this month's theme and this month's questions. Um, And you'll also see a link to go to our Padlet site where if you want to engage in some interactive activities and stories and videos. There's all kinds of great stuff there. And of course, if you want to bring your reflections and hear other folks' reflections and kind of do this work in community rather than uh, alone, we invite you to our worship service on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. The Zoom login information is on our website, uucheyenne.org. It was good to be together. I'll see you soon. Thank you.